I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Spencer Reese, and he's coming to us from Madrid, Spain. He has a very interesting story, and it's complicated enough that I'm going to try to get him to talk about it rather than me trying to summarize it. Needless to say, he's a poet, and he's involved in some very interesting projects. Spencer said something interesting in an article that the Washington Post did. You said it He's a priest, by the way. It took me a long time to get to the top of the church steps. And I think uh, people be interested to know what that meant. Can you elaborate on that? Well, um, I really came at the church sort of backwards. I was, you know, um, often in the back row of churches when I, when I did go to them. For a very, very long time, I didn't think there was a place for me in the church. And um, I thought it wouldn't, it wouldn't accept or embrace someone as um, seemingly eccentric as myself. And so um, it took a long time. It took a long time for me to just grow up and be a man. I was a very late bloomer, slow, slow, for most of my life. I mean, it took me like forever to learn to tie my shoes when I was a little kid. And then, you know, to tell time was even longer. So I I don't know. I I guess most things have come to me. The, The publication of my first book came, you know, somewhat later. I was 41 years old when the first book of poems was published. So I wasn't exactly a spring chicken and um and then my second book came out when i was 50 50 51 and and did i get this right from something i read about you you are the national secretary for the episcopalian bishop of spain i know it is unusual but it, i'm not making it up it's true and it just happened to me like most of my life i i fell into my current job i've been working I was ordained a priest in 2011, October 2nd, 2011. I know that date because it was my father's birthday. And mm-hmm. I was ordained in, uh, in Madrid. That was my parents' last plane flight that they ever took. And um, I was ordained here in Madrid because I had just, by some bizarre coincidence, won the Amy Lowell Traveling Grant for American Poets, which meant that, you know, the, the poet lives outside the United States for the year. And uh, my bishop in Miami suggested that I go to Madrid because I wanted to learn Spanish, uh, because I had been working in emergency rooms where there was a lot of gang violence at Hartford Hospital, which is a thousand bed a trauma one hospital where I was working. And a lot of people weren't speaking English, so I wanted to learn Spanish. That's how it all kind of started. And then bizarrely, that led to my flying to Madrid and being ordained in 2011 as an Episcopal priest, which is unusual because Spain is like 150% Catholic. But for about 150 years, there has been an expression of the Anglican Episcopal Church, which is quite heroic and valiant and unusual and on the margins and a church that has suffered a great deal. You know, there was a, 
a dictator here called um, Franco, and he was in power for, you know, almost 50 years. And when he came to power, he wanted to eliminate everything that wasn't Catholic, which meant this church. So the building that I'm talking to you from now, the priests were taken out in the street, they were shot in the head, the building was closed for decades. So it's a very different history from the normal Episcopal associations in the United States, which are with, you know, power, prestige, and really, really good prep schools. It's a very different story here. And um, do you consider your uh, then this is this is a large influence on your poetry in the sense of is your poetry uh, would you say leans to the spiritual? Well, I'm sure. Yeah, I just, there's three poems that are going to run in the Paris Review that are from a sequence that I'm working on. I could read one of those if you want me to. And they're, yeah. they're about to appear um, in the Paris Review. I've never been in the Paris Review, which is kind of exciting. And they asked me for these, for any, if I had any new work. And it's been about five or six years since my last book. So finally, I had something. Cool. I would you know, one is always grateful to have something. Yeah. And um, I think so. It's a very poignant story. And I think wherever I have worked has given me inspiration. And it's been in unlikely places. Before I was in the church, I worked at um, the, the clothier called Brooks Brothers, where I worked for 12 years in, in sales and management, which was really a great preparation for the priesthood actually and you know my life there I was also working on my poetry when I was working in retail all those years and it it was from that work that I wrote things that were in my first book which um, was called the clerk's tale and then that you know that began my my writing life and my work life has always taken place for whatever reason, you know, separately, um, but together. So yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Let's do one of those poems. Oh, okay. I'll read you the first one. So they are, it's, it's a series of poem called, poems called Letters from Spain. And I quote uh, the Bible. There's a quote in Romans when Paul says, I take my journey into Spain. And of course, I'm referencing the letters that are in the Bible. And this poem is an homage to the letter, which sadly has completely disappeared. You know, we don't talk or write the way we used to write when we wrote letters. And I'm old enough to be a person that wrote voluminous letters and then saw them completely disappear. So I wanted to write this poem that honored uh, the letter, but it's also, it's also a poem that's about um, my church life as a, a national secretary uh, for this very poor church. We're as poor of a church as, um, Navajo land in the United States. And anybody that knows the Episcopal Church, if you say you're as poor as Navajo land, their jaws drop. So we're, you know, we're very, a very humble operation. Um, so I'll read you one of those. Does that sound good? Yeah. 
The first one is called, the, none of them are very long. They're all, um, they're all the length of a double sonnet. So that would be what? 28 lines. Right. And so um, they all have titles which are Spanish. So the title is Mis Primeros Dias Aquí in Madrid. And that would translate as my first days here in Madrid. I don't want to make mistakes, but Lord, I make them. Didn't wear the right shoes, black running shoes instead of dress shoes. Answered the phone wrong, welcomed wrong was told never to wear gloves in the church, even though we have no heat. My Spanish is delicate. I misunderstand liturgy. I bow when we stand. I kneel when we sit. This is not the Episcopal Church as we know it. Not one Lily Pulitzer shift in sight. This phrase I recite, Os pido que tengáis paciencia con mi castellano. Word reached me from Christchurch Westerly. Natalie Lawton filled me in with the letter she wrote. Fall now and the ordination went well, although hardly anyone came. A bicycle race cut off access with its thousands of wheels. We were surrounded by muscles in spandex. The erotic contained as if that was a sign when I landed, Aloisi collected me. His name pronounced Aloisi. He talks quick, his story I can't track. Poor, imprisoned, a soldier, a welder. He left a wife and child in Cuba. He uses the word vergüenza. Need to look that up. In Cuba, injustice was done to him. He told me Catholic priests have sex. At least I think that's what he said. Gave me pause, curious, much seems curious. Thanks for letting me read that. That's, you know, I haven't ever read that out, out loud like that. Did you write that shortly after, uh, after getting there or later? No, I'm a very, well, let me think about that. I think the answer is yes and yes. Like, you know, I think little bits of things come to me immediately, but then it takes me years and years and years to make it, make a poem. I'm not, they don't come very rapidly. So I'm grateful when one comes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. I was, I was thinking of that because when I got to Vermont two years ago, one of the things I noticed, you've been to Bennington. One of the things I know. Uh, that there are no parking meters in Bennington. And I immediately wrote that down and said, I got to capture things like that before I get used to things and don't notice them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my, my, my art has often been about noticing what other people seem to ignore. And, you know, my first book that was a poem, about Ralph, who was a old homosexual who had worked at Brooks Brothers for three decades. And I felt like the world had ignored him and I wanted to honor him. And, and then in my second book, the, the central poem of that book revolved around a sponsor of mine in, in a 12 step program. And uh, he was very, uh, 
kind of a sad and lonely and yet, and yet extremely helpful man for me. And, and now in this, in this third, third, whatever, you know, one day a book, um, you know, I'm noticing, you know, my Bishop and, and, and the life of this church, which is extremely unnoticed by, by the world. And I don't know why that is. I do, I do that. You know, I went to, a um, a reading once of Donna Tart, who graduated from Bennington College, and she won the Pulitzer for a book called *The Goldfinch*. Which, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. She's a f- phenomenal writer. And I went to a reading once that she gave, and and they asked her, you know, why are there orphans like in all your books? She's written like three big, huge, sort of mystery, gothic books, and she said, I don't know why that happens, and. And I guess my answer would be the same. I don't. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Spoken well, like I, a poet, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, as you said, noticing what might go unnoticed, and you do have a unique situation. Uh, as you said, the, our association with the Episcopal Church is not uh, like an Indian reservation at all. <laughs> so, no. a unique situation, and then that makes an interesting story for for all of us on the outside who don't know that, I think, you know. Yeah, 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 I, I've been fortunate where where God has placed me from, from Brooks Brothers in Minneapolis, Minnesota to um, Honduras, where, you know, when you were asking me earlier about that anthology of poems by the girls, another entire, not only an entirely unnoticed people, which breaks my heart, these are the kids that you know are in the cages with numbers on their back, but but a whole country that that often the world turns its back on, and and so that anthology that's out in the world now, counting time like people count stars, which is a line from one of the girls' poems, is uh, I'm very very proud of that that work, and um, and, and again again it's sort of drawing attention to something that's not noticed. And the book is all poems by the girls? The book is 24 poems by the girls. I lived and taught there on a Fulbright grant. The church did not support that harebrained idea of mine um, financially. And so I was on a Fulbright grant. And then um, it's also got an introduction by Marie Howe, an af- a little ap- uh, afterward by Richard Blanco, an article about uh, the history of gangs uh, by Luis Rodriguez, who's a, a, a wonderful poet in Los Angeles. Yeah. And then I wrote, I wrote sort of a, a rather lengthy introduction to that book because Honduras needs to be explained and understood, I felt, to uh, certainly an American audience. Um, and so it, it, it took like five or six years to write that introduction and do it justice. But I think I did it. So. Let me mention for folks that the context of this is an institution called Our Little Roses, and it takes care of and tries to help uh, little orphan girls in Honduras, which is um, a pretty dangerous place to be any kind of a girl. And uh, Spencer was down there working with them uh, with poetry. And you can say a little bit if you want to about what you did with it. I know you had to memorize some poems, and they certainly wrote their own as well. And so it was a really, really interesting story. And there's a documentary about the work as well. 
Right. There's a documentary film, executive produced by the Hollywood actor James Franco, directed by Brad Coley. The editing job was done by Elise Durant, who works for Woody Allen, and the cinematographer for it is up for an award in, in Amsterdam, and it's won three awards. It's an absolutely beautiful piece of art that uh, was not easy to make, and, and neither was the book. But I, of all the things I've done in my life, I think it's one of the things I'm the most proud of, um, which is... You know, it's not my own work, but I mean, it's the work of these girls. And, um, and um, you know, there are 250,000 orphans in the country of Honduras. Honduras is a country of 8 million people, but only 7 million people live in Honduras. And 1 million live uh, mainly illegally in the United States, doing the work that Americans don't want to do. Picking strawberries, cleaning floors, cleaning toilets. And they do it heroically and valiantly, and they are not noticed by, by the world. I did not notice them. I did not know where Honduras was. I, I went there by, it was again like by accident, really, that I wound up there. And, um, and so I lived there, and the girls eventually wrote poems. It was not an easy process, uh, but they wrote amazing poems and um, did amazing work. And then I brought the work back to the United States and it was a very difficult process of publishing that book. I knocked on door after door in New York City and the book was rejected everywhere I went, which was very humbling for me because I wasn't expecting that. And uh, Sharon Olds, who you have, if you haven't had her on your program, I hope you will, you know, she said, well, she took me to dinner, I was very, dejected mm -hmm. uh, and um, she said well you know it's an anthology by teenage girls from Honduras what do you expect but um, I did not expect that because I don't know why maybe it's my midwestern naivete the story is so compelling is why I would think you would think yeah people are going to be interested in this and care about it um, they didn't they, they didn't know where Honduras was they asked me why there was such violence there. They asked cavalierly. It was like they didn't care about it at all. And it was heartbreaking for me uh, because I have put up with a lot of rejection throughout my entire life. My first book was rejected 300 times before it was taken when I was 41. And, um, but this book, Gosh, you know, I had all these little kids riding on it with me. So the stakes were, those rejections were, were all the more, they were a little more, they were painful because normally rejections are not so painful for me, but, but those hurt a little bit. Uh, but finally, I didn't give up. And about two or three years later, um, I met Luis Rodriguez and the book, the book, he took the book, thank God, and he and his wife, worked tirelessly on it. And it's a beautiful book with black and white photographs by Mary Jane Zapp, who's a great photographer. And um, I can't say enough about it. It's a great book. And any money that we make from that book goes right back to those girls. So it's, it's a- We used the Tia Chucha book? Yeah, it's Tia Chucha Press. It sold over a thousand. The print run was 2000. So makes a great, great present for yeah. <laughs> and again, before we move on to the next poem you're going to read, 
the name of the documentary is Voices Beyond the Wall. That's right. The name of the documentary is different from the book. The name of the documentary is Voices Beyond the Wall. It's, it's a masterpiece. Um, I was just, God was just shining a laser beam on me because I didn't know anybody in the film industry, hardly anybody uh, besides James Franco, but I, I didn't, you know, I, he's not the one that helped me find the director. So just through chance, through Brooks Brothers, uh, a woman that used to um, feed me club sandwiches on my day off and take pity on me was always talking about her son who was a film director and that was Brad Coley. And um, so when I won the Fulbright, I knew I was going to Honduras. I knew I was going to teach these girls. I knew I wanted to make an anthology, but I thought a book of poems, it's the thing that I love more than anything, but I, I wanted it to reach bigger and wider. And so I thought a film would do that. And um, so that, that I asked Brad and he said, yes, and there you go. Great. Okay, well, let's hear another poem. Like, oh. her, like I, I love it when, when we get your good story and your poetry as well, all in one podcast. Um, what should I, I'll, I'll read something from my, how about something from my first book? We'll go backwards. Okay. This is a poem about uh, being in a hospital and seeing uh, a young boy that was uh, burned over 80% of his body. And it's called Chrysanthemums. When I am in the hospital, there is this boy. He is 17 and has survived a circus fire. His eye sockets are gouges. The eyes themselves are like slugs inching. His fingers are missing. The stumps are black. When the nurse undoes his gauze bandages, his mouth collapses. The shower room is soundproofed so we cannot hear the screams when they debreed him. The hours pass quick, then slow. Outside my window, the chrysanthemums, their petals yellow and scalloped as woodcuts. I haven't read that in a million years. Oh, such intense details. Again, you have to I be there. I really did see a boy like that when I really was in the hospital. So yeah. that, that yeah. was all. It's kind of stuff you can't make up. It's funny with the poem because some of the details in that poem are not the details. You know, we were just talking about a documentary, and one of the one of the things about poetry, I don't understand poetry. I really, really don't. I love it more than anything else. But when you're making it, it's like it's not a documentary. So the boy was not really in a circus fire. It was a butane explosion in South Dakota, mm -hmm. but I just like the sound of circus fire. And it, you know, the, when you make a poem, you kind of, it's like a painting. And so you're, what, what needs to be true for me is the, is the emotional truth has to ring true. You know? Completely agree. Yeah, the, the facts, if, if in the end you get the point, then whatever you did to get the point across, I think is the way to go. Well, Elizabeth Bishop said something like that because she wrote, you know, one of her later poems was um, was um, in the waiting room and she's looking at these uh, breasts of these African women and she's 
haunted by, you know, her sexuality is awakening and she's a little girl. And, and she quotes something, she references this National Geographic and details in this National Geographic. And, you know, it turns out in reality, it's like the wrong National Geographic and it's from somewhere else. And, you know, right. so I always remember that story that, you know, cause she said she suffered from the George Washington disease that she could never tell a lie. And um, I think in a, w a way, really good poetry adheres to that. It, it can't, it can't tell lies. It has to, it has to have everything at stake in whatever way the poet chooses to do that. But it, it really has to go for broke. Yeah. Every yeah. single time. Yeah. And it's true to the point, true to the real message of the poem. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do another and then we'll talk about the, uh, the upcoming festival a little bit. Uh, okay. Um, I'll read something from my second book. Um, this is a poem. This is a poem about my parents who are 86 now. And um, I can't bear to think of them not in the world. And um, it's, it's very hard to watch uh, people get older. And um, my parents' marriage is the longest sustained intimate relationship I've ever really known. And um, so it's a poem about them in their little house. It's called The Fifth Commandment. And for those people that are Bible readers, the fifth commandment is honor your mother and father. The fifth commandment, waiting with an unfinished, finished look behind honeysuckles that crown old Saybrook. She is reading Vita Sackville West. He has food on his moth-eaten sweater vest. Here's the oriental rug, still steeped in piss from their bulldog who barked like an activist. She seems happy, raining with creams you FedExed, rubbing his scalp, patched with scabby flecks. As his squamous cell carcinoma sprout, the local dermatologist cuts them out or frosts the growths with liquid nitrogen. Tonight they talk of their last vegetable garden, count out their pills in chipped cereal bowls. You know the ones. Check their sugar levels, bicker over books misplaced, tchotchkes lost, their tongues like well-used church keys. Brother, last night, half the garden nearly froze. The dash between their dates is nearly closed. Mm. Really good title. It's kind of addressed to my brother. My brother and I are both bachelors without children and and so we're sort of, we're, we're keeping vigil now mm -hmm. as, um, as my parents are, are standing on the shores of the River Jordan and um, yeah. kind of a, it's not fun. No, not at all. I don't like it. I don't, I don't want anybody to die, but I know that that's not realistic, but I don't like it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you for sure. So now what about this festival that's coming up next summer in Madrid that people should know about? Somebody going to Europe may hear this and decide to make sure they get to Madrid. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. So, what is it? so 
what is it? It's like it's like a, a big pile of um, craziness. Um, so it's um, if you go if you are on Facebook and you go to Unamuno Author Series, that's the easiest way to find out more about it. We're going to launch a web page and we're going to launch a video that will announce the festival in October and our fundraising campaign to bring about 10 writers that don't have the funds to come. And I'm talking about a dear poet friend of mine, Barney Bush, who's a, a Native American indigenous writer who lives on an Indian reservation. And I want to bring him to the festival for 2000 bucks. Another, you know, uh, writer friend of mine who works at Starbucks, Ruben Casada, another friend, Naomi Malvihill, who teaches in a bilingual school, a kindergarten teacher. So we'll, we'll launch all that soon. Um, and then there's about, you know, 50 or 60 other writers who have means, you know, have university jobs like Greg Pardlow, who's a friend of mine who just won the Pulitzer, Natalie Diaz, who's an amazing, amazing poet, um, an indigenous writer also. And um, she was just here to read and just inspired, is still inspiring all of us. And um, Sharon Olds and Nick Flynn and Marie Howe and so big list of and Car uh, Carolyn Forche and Michael Dumanis who you had on your show and Mark Wunderlich and many many others Henri Cole and um, so we're going to have um, lectures in the morning on the Civil War those will be in Spanish and then during the day we'll do recorded interviews like we're doing now half hour interviews that the Paris Review has asked for first refusal rights for their podcasts. And then in the evening, all these writers will read their works. And um, then in the afternoon, also the lectures that were done in Spanish will be given in English in the patio of the, of the cathedral. And it's just a, it's just a celebration of, of poetry here in Madrid um, with a lot of my American uh, writer friends who kind of feel isolated and beleaguered. Uh, a lot of my writer friends are Latinx poets. That's a new phrase for people that are Latino or Latina. You know, and now because I mm -hmm. run around speaking Spanish so much, I and I love I love that community of writers. A lot of writers from the Cave Canem, um group, you know, are also coming. Um, one of my assistants just won the Cave Canem Chapbook Prize. So it's a big celebration of all kinds of poets at all different levels. There's a poet coming, I think, from uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, who's just writing some of her very, very first poems that she's been writing, you know, ever. So um, wow. it'll be a big, you know, a, a, a broad range. And I think, you know, Charlie, uh, poetry has given me so much. I just turned 55 yesterday, so it's my my double nickels time. All right. um, I, just, I feel a very strong sense, and it began with the documentary film and um, and doing the anthology by the abandoned and abused girls of our little roses. Um, I a very strong sense of wanting to give back to poetry because it's given me so much, oh. and I'm never going to be able to give back what it's given to me. So the well, you're, you're doing pretty well. I'd say. Do you, have, do you have dates for this yet, for the festival? Yeah. Uh, May 27th to June 1st. May 27th to June 1st. And if you go on that Facebook thing, you'll sure. see yeah. all of it, all of our record, our interviews. Yeah. Just, um, it's just going to be a big, a big celebration. Sounds great.
Yeah. Well, yeah. Spencer, I'm so glad we could do this. Do your poetry and talk about your projects and your most interesting life to date. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me, little old me here in Madrid, Spain. Oh, shucks. All right, Spencer, it's been great. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our guest today, Spencer Reese, talking to us from Madrid, Spain. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.